I want to talk to you today about the fog. My friend John Hansen posted on his Instagram a little devotional a couple of weeks ago when he talked about the difference between darkness and fog, and I'd never thought about it this way before. He said it's easier to drive through darkness than it is to drive through fog. Isn't that that true? It's easier to drive at night in darkness because all you got to do is turn on the light. But driving through fog, even in the middle of the day, is much more difficult than driving through darkness at night. Darkness is easier to deal with than fog. And this is also true for the life of the believer because it's easier to deal with the darkness of ignorance than it is to deal with the fog of confusion. It's easier to deal with the darkness of ignorance than it is to deal with the fog of confusion. Today I want to talk to you about how to deal with the fog of confusion. And I I need to say to you at the outset that each and every one of us experiences the fog of confusion. You see, the first thing that you must understand is that the enemy would lie to you and tell you that real believers don't experience the fog. That mature believers don't experience the fog and that if you're ever walking through a fog of confusion where you're not sure what the will of God is, you're not sure if you're making the right decision, you're not sure if you're going the right direction, or you have no idea why you're having to suffer the things that you are suffering, let me say to you that you are in good company. That every believer has to deal with the fog. It's not for weak believers. It's not an unnecessary suffering. It's a necessary suffering. You're not alone. And some of you even right now are walking through the fog of confusion. Some of you just came out of the fog of confusion, and some of you are about to go into the fog of confusion. And so I must say at the outset that this message is relevant to every single one. Paul, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, first says that we have a treasure in earthen vessels. What are earthen vessels? Look at your neighbor and say, you are an earthen vessel. Because when God formed Adam, what did he form him out of? The dust of the ground, literally the dust of Adama, which means earth. Did you know that Adam's name, Adam, is a play on the word Adama, which means earth or ground. He formed Adam out of Adama. Adam was literally an earthen vessel, a jar of clay that the father formed in his own image and likeness and then breathed into him the breath of life. So we see in Adam's very creation that God started with an earthen vessel and then breathed into his nostrils the ruach, of life, the breath of life, the spirit of life, which is the treasure. He put a treasure in an earthen vessel. That is literally a description of our creation, but it's also a description of our new creation in Christ because beyond the breath of life that fills our lungs as created biological beings, 
There's the spirit of the living God who indwells our hearts through faith in Jesus Christ. And in our hearts dwells a treasure. But Paul said he put this treasure in earthen vessels, in jars of clay or vessels of clay. Literally nobody in the ancient world would put their treasure in a clay pot. If you had a treasure, you didn't put it in a jar of clay. Why? Because jars of clay are too easily broken. They were like the Tupperware of the ancient world. Everybody had clay pots in their house, clay bowls, clay spoons, clay cups. They were like Tupperware. Paul said literally he put this treasure in Tupperware. Why did he put his treasure inside our Tupperware bodies? So that the excellency might be of God and not of us. Put verse 7 up there again. So that we would know that the power is God's power, not our power. So that whatever good comes out of our lives, we'd be able to look and see that good is God's good, not my good. That power is God's power, not my power, and therefore it's God's glory and not my glory. I am just an earthen vessel. Anything that comes out of this vessel, if it's good, it had to come from above. Because nobody, I mean, think about it. If you took, if you went to a five-star or three Michelin-starred restaurant and you brought leftovers home and put it in a Tupperware container and then put it in the fridge and the next day one of your family members took it out and started eating it, I said, man, this is delicious. No family member would eat. This is delicious. Man, what kind of Tupperware is this? This is so good. This must be, this must be a, a, a special Tupperware. <laughs> he said, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with the container. It has to do with the contents. There's no Tupperware that's any better than any Tupperware. The question is, who made the food? That's going in your Tupperware. Come on, somebody. Who made the food that is in your Tupperware? And then Paul says, we're hard-pressed on every side. He says, we're perplexed. He said, we're persecuted. And he said, we're struck down. What he's talking about is the breakdown of the jars of clay. The jars of clay are subject to breaking down. But for some reason, the treasure on the inside preserves the jars. Paul says, because I've got this treasure on the inside of me, I'm hard pressed on every side and I should be crushed. But because of the treasure, I'm not crushed. It should have destroyed me. But because of the treasure, I'm not destroyed. The stuff I've gone through should have taken me out, but because of the treasure, it couldn't take me out because there's a power on the inside of me that's greater than the pressure on the outside of me. So I'm not worried about the pressure on the outside. I'm focused on the power on the inside because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And so he says, we are hard pressed On every side. Paul says there's not an area in my life where I'm not experiencing pressure right now. There's not an area in my life in which I'm not experiencing hardship right now. 
And later in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul is going to tell you about all of the sufferings that he has had to endure just up to the point where he wrote this letter. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 7, I believe, or maybe further, I can't remember, but it's in 2 Corinthians 11. He starts to list his hardships. He said, three times I received 40 lashes minus one from the Romans. One time supposed to kill you. 40 lashes minus one, you don't survive 40 lashes minus one. You die under the whip. Well, guess what? I went through it three times, and I survived all three. Why? Because I'm hard-pressed on every side. It would have killed the average man, but I'm not the average man because there's a treasure on the inside of me. He said, five times I was beaten with rods. One time should have killed me but I survived five times. You see, sometimes the mark of God's power in your life is what you have survived. When we tend to think that the mark of God's power on our lives is what we avoid, then he talks about spending a night and a day in the deep on multiple occasions and sleepless nights and fasting often and in prayers often and constantly worried for the churches. He talks about all of the hardships that he had to endure. Now, if you read 2 Corinthians 11 without reading 2 Corinthians 4, you might come to a false conclusion. You might come to the conclusion that Paul is such a spiritual gangster that he he walks through every hardship like it's nothing. Beat me. Go ahead. I'm a gangster for Jesus. You can beat me. 40 lashes minus one, that's nothing. Shoot, beat me with rods. Leave me in the, in the sea for a night and a day in the deep. No problem. I'll fast. I'll, I'll, I'll hang out on the roadside. <laughs> I can walk through anything. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. As if Paul never experienced confusion, as if he never walked away from a, a hardship going, God, why did you let me go through that? But when you go back here to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and you read verse 8, put verse 8 back up. Look what he says. First he says, we are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. But then he says, we are perplexed but not in despair. Do you know what the word perplexed means? I looked at it in the Greek, aporumenoi. It literally means to be at a complete loss. It's in a state of confusion where I have no clue what's going on. Why? I'm confused about why God's allowing me to walk through this. I can't see how it fits his purpose at all. I'm not even sure I'm walking in the right direction. Literally, Paul says, we walk through fog all the time. I'm not immune to the fog of confusion because I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I walk through the fog all the time. But he says we are perplexed, but not in despair. The word perplexed in the Greek, aporumenoi. The word in despair in the Greek, exaporumenoi. It's the same word. He just adds a prefix the second time. Apo means I'm at a loss. 
Ex ruminoi means I'm at a complete, ultimate, and total loss. Do you hear that? It's just a distinction of degree. Ex ruminoi is final, total, and complete confusion forever. Aporuminoi is temporary and partial con confusion for a season. Do you hear me? He said, we are aporuminoi, but it's only temporary and it's only partial. We are aporuminoi, but we are not ex-aporuminoi. We are at a loss, but we're not at a complete loss. There's a lot that we don't know, but there's still some things that we do know. We can't see far, but we can see something. And see, this is the thing about the fog. When you're driving through the fog, your visibility is drastically decreased. If it's super thick fog, you might not be able to see 20 feet in front of your car. But guess what? You can see 20 feet in front of your car. You might not be able to see for hundreds or thousands of feet like you can when it's a clear day, but you can see something. And what tends to happen to us when we walk into the fog yeah. is that because we can't see everything, we assume that we can see nothing. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm completely confused. I have no clue. We walk into the fog and we start saying, I'm ex ruminoi. I have no clue what's happening in my life. I don't know nothing. And we start pretending that we're in the darkness of ignorance. Wow, wow, yeah. I don't know nothing. Listen, you are never in a situation where you don't know anything. Yeah. You're never in a situation where you can't see anything. You can see something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I'm going to give you three keys for navigating the fog of confusion. Three keys. Key number one, slow down. You can make it through the fog if you just slow down. You'll still make it to your destination. It's just going to take longer. You're still going somewhere, just not as fast as you wanted to get there, which means there's no crisis. I'm still going to get there. It's just going to take a little longer than I thought. You need to learn how to say that to yourself. If I've got 20 feet of visibility, I need to slow down so that I can safely go, <clears throat> that I can safely make my way through this 20 feet of, of visibility. Don't, don't, don't just speed and call it faith. You know what? I don't know where I'm going, but the Lord is leading me, so I'm just going to floor it. You better slow your behind down and use some wisdom. I'm just trusting God. No, you're not. You're being lazy and you're being reckless. When you're driving through the fog and you don't slow down, you are not only a danger to yourself, but you're a danger to others. There's a lot of dangerous believers out there who are driving through fog, but pretending they can see clearly. I declare by faith, I can see it. No, you can't. You blind. You, you, you. <laughs> <coughs> slow down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got to stop and say, what can I see? Because sometimes the fog is so thick that you can only see 10 feet in front, yeah. 
But guess what? If I can see 10 feet in front, that's clear enough to take one more step. And guess what happens when I take that step? I can see another 10 feet in front. That's enough to take one more step. It might not be enough for me to floor it, but I might have to crawl at 15 miles an hour. But you know what? If I can continue to see 10 feet in front of me and I move 10 feet and I can see 10 more feet and I move 10 feet and I can see 10 more feet, you guess what? I'm still moving forward. I haven't stopped. I haven't slowed down. I haven't stopped. I've simply slowed down. And slowing down means a number of things. The first thing it means is standing on the truth that you have. Remember what Paul said in Romans 8, 28? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. Why did Paul have to say, and we know? He was standing in a situation where there was a lot he didn't know. I don't know if I'm going the right direction or not. I don't even know if I'm in the will of God or not, but I know that God works in all things for the good of those who love him. And I know that I love him and I know that I'm called according to his purpose. So I'm going to stand on what I do know. Listen, when you are in a time of confusion, you can either focus on what you don't know or you can focus on what you do know. If you focus on what you don't know, you're going to pretend to be in darkness and in despair. But if you focus on what you do know, you're going to continue to move forward you just have to slow down now slowing down for the believer does not simply mean keep doing what you're doing just slow more slowly you have not slowed down until you number one increased your prayer time And number two, increased your scripture meditation time. Because the whole point of slowing down is so you can become more alert. If you're driving through thick fog, the exit that you need can come up on you so quickly. And if you aren't going slow enough to identify it, you won't be able to take it. Slowing down for the believer means setting your eyes on Jesus Walking in the spirit so that you are alert. Because here's the beauty of being in the fog. When your exit comes, it's going to happen quickly. I mean, literally, God can shift you out of fog situations quickly and in a moment. But you've got to be alert. And don't you hate when you miss an exit, when you're driving on the freeway and you miss, doesn't that just make you, just burn you up? You know what? It, it really it makes me mad when I do that. I, I just get so mad at myself, but it makes my wife even more mad. <laughs> Ooh, it just burns her up. It's her pet peeve. Ooh, we just wasted time because you were driving so fast. You missed the exit. And now we've got to take more time to loop around. Whereas if you were driving slower and not trying to get to your destination so quickly, you would be more alert and you wouldn't have missed your exit you actually would have gotten there more quickly had you moved more slowly. Increase your prayer time. Increase your scripture meditation time. Spend more time with God. 
Because look, I can only see 10 feet in front of me, so why am I going to spend all my time trying to figure out what's out there? Slow down. That's number one. Number two, don't stop. Slow down, but don't stop. Fog is not a time to stop. I mean, what if you're just you're driving and all of a sudden you drive in a thick fog and you just stop the car? In the middle of the freeway, there's fog. I'm just going to sit here and wait for absolute clarity. You are a danger to yourself because there's people coming behind you and they won't be able to see you till it's too late. Don't stop. And I hear believers saying that all the time. I'm just going to sit right here till God tells me what to do. I don't have absolute clarity. And until I have complete clarity from the Lord, I'm not taking another step. And you're going to be there for the rest of your life. And a whole bunch of people are going to plow into the back of you. I've seen it happen with guys who have dated their girlfriend for 17 years and they're still not married. When are y'all going to get married? I'm waiting for clarity from the Lord. Just waiting for until I'm absolutely certain that she is the will of God for my life. Boy, you need to make a decision one way or the other. Okay? You need to make a decision one way or the other. Stop wasting that woman's time. Hello? Because I guarantee you there's some guys watching the situation just waiting for you to be removed so they can step in. You just hold in the place. We're seeking the Lord. Move forward. Don't just stop. Move forward. And moving forward simply means I can see enough to take this step. I'm going to take this step. I don't have to know what's after this step. See, that's the thing. We want to see 12 steps into the future before we take one. We want to see 27 steps. No, here's the thing. I'm praying, asking God if this is going to work. I don't want to do it unless it's going to work. God does not give that kind of information. Rarely. Sometimes he does. But very rarely. Because if he gave you that information, you wouldn't have to walk by faith. Now, would you? Slow down. But don't stop. Slow down. But don't stop. Number three, turn on the high beams. Mm. Turn on the high beams. The low beams are not enough. You need to turn on the high beams. When we're talking about turning on the high beams, we're talking about seeking God for a revelation. Because listen, here's the thing. When you're going through fog and you can't see where you're going, God begins to reveal other things. That is the spirit of God. There's an availability in the spirit of God for stuff that you were not seeking before. See, oftentimes God slows you down and puts you in a fog because there's other stuff he wants to reveal to you that you never would have asked him if you had complete clarity on this road. The high beams, and you know what the thing about the high beams, when you turn on the high beams in the fog, it doesn't do much better. It's still just illuminating more fog. It's still just illuminating more fog. But all of a sudden, when you break through the fog, the high beams take you so much further into the future than you would have gone had you not had them on. And so Paul says, we're perplexed. 
I'm often perplexed. I often don't understand. I've walked through many situations where I didn't understand why God had to let me walk through that situation. And I've come out of many situations where I thought, God, you threw me to the lion's den. And then the lions devoured me and you left me there on the ground. I've come out of situations where I said, God, you kicked me in the teeth. You led me to walk through that door knowing that there were thugs on the other side of that door waiting to beat the crap out of me. Come on, Benjamin, right through here. Boom, 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 boom. I get beat the crap. Good job, Benjamin. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's, that's what I planned for you. Two situations come to mind. First situation, I'm driving up over the Dublin grade. This is many years ago, several years ago. I can't say many years. I'm not old enough to say many years. <laughs> I'm getting there, though. <laughs> I'm about to be 50 in a couple years. It's crazy, right? I'm driving up over the Dublin grade, and all of a sudden I drive into the thickest fog that I've ever seen. I had to slow down to about 10 miles an hour. It was so thick. And I said, God, this is how I feel. This is how I feel spiritually. I feel like I'm in thick fog and I can't see my hand in front of my face and I have no idea where I'm, excuse me, where I'm going. I don't even know if I'm even following you anymore. And the Lord spoke to me so clearly. He said, son, trust me to lead you beyond your ability to follow. The fog is the place where God reveals to you that he is a better leader than you are a follower. The fog is the place where God shows you that he takes more responsibility in leading you than he expects you to take in following him. The fog is the place where God shows you that he's the father and you're the child. The fog is the place where he breaks your confidence and your ability to follow him and he establishes your confidence in his ability to lead you. Yeah. And the fog is the place where God reveals to you that because your heart desires to do his will more than anything, he will not easily let you out of it. Yeah. So do you hear that? Yeah. Someone asked me a question last night, how do you know that you're not arrogant? And I said that question is, I answer that question the same way I answered the question about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. People have asked me, how do you know that you haven't blasphemed the Holy Spirit? And I said, because if you're worried about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, you haven't. Because if you actually did blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't be worried about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Your heart would be seared as with a hot iron. You would, you would be un incapable of feeling conviction. So if you're feeling conviction, you have not blasphemed the Holy Spirit. If you're afraid that you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, you have not blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Because those who have blasphemed the Holy Spirit are not afraid. And if you're afraid of arrogance, then you're not arrogant. Because arrogant people are not worried about being arrogant. How do you know if you're in the will of God or not? If you're worried about not being in the will of God, you probably are in the will of God. Because people who are out of the will of God are not worried about being in the will of God. And when God sees that your heart desires to be in his will more than anything else, he will not easily let you out of it. 
Paul says, I get the fog. I've been in the fog for years. Stuff I thought God was going to have me do, he didn't have me do. Doors that I thought God was going to open for me, he didn't open for me. The direction that I thought my ministry was going to go, my ministry didn't go. Breakthroughs that I thought I would see, I haven't seen yet. Miracles that I thought would happen, haven't happened. And because of that, I'm perplexed. I'm at a loss. I can't explain it. I don't understand it, but you know what? I'm not at a complete loss. I haven't lost everything. I'm not completely ignorant. I'm not completely in the dark. You know why? Because one thing I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. And I'll stand with him on that day. I know that God works in all things for the good of those who love him or the called according to his purpose. I know that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come will ever be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I know that my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You see, this is why you need to get these verses on the inside of you. Because as you memorize these verses, you give yourself truth to stand on in the midst of foggy situations. I can walk through the fog because I know that my Redeemer lives. The Bible says that Satan is the author of confusion. And the confusion of which Satan is the author is not aporumenoi. It's exaporumenoi. The confusion of which Satan is the author of is not being perplexed. Listen, if you have a moment where you're not completely 100% sure and 100% clear about everything, it doesn't mean Satan's got you. But the confusion of which Satan is the author is the confusion that says, I don't know anything. And he's always there in the midst of your confusing times to whisper in your ear and go, you don't know nothing. You don't know nothing. You thought God was with you, guess what? He's not with you. You thought you were his child, guess what? You're not his child. You thought you were in his will, guess what? You're not in his will. You thought you were following him, you don't know nothing. Satan is always trying to bring you from aporumenoi to exaporumenoi, from being perplexed to being in despair, from not knowing everything to declaring that you don't know nothing. But guess what? Satan is writing a book. He's the author of confusion. He's writing a book with your name on it. It says Larry Ann Davis, and the subtitle is Confusion. And he's constantly trying to add a chapter of confusion to your life. But Jesus is also an author. The scripture says he's the author and finisher of your faith. He's writing a book and it's called Larry Ann Davis Faith. And in every situation, he's adding a chapter to your faith. And he adds a chapter to your faith when you walk through a moment of confusion, but you say, you know what? I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I haven't lost everything. I don't know nothing. I know something. I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Come on, somebody. God wants to break you free from that ultimate confusion. It's okay to be perplexed. It's okay to be confused. But don't focus on it. 
There's some questions that I don't have the answer to, but I'm not focused on it. There's some stuff that I'm going through that I don't understand, but I'm not focused on it. I'm not focused on what God is not doing. I'm focused on what God is doing. I haven't set my eyes on what God has not revealed. I've set my eyes on what God has revealed. You see, some of you need a little Deuteronomy 29, 29 in your life. It says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children. The stuff that God has revealed, that belongs to you. The stuff that God has made known, that belongs to you. Sometimes all I know is Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Does anybody know that sometimes that's all you need? Sometimes all you need is Jesus loves me. This I know. But you'll walk through a time of confusion and Satan will try to convince you that you don't even know that. Well, does he really love you? Did God really say don't eat from this tree? You haven't learned to recognize his voice yet. Does he really care about you? Are you sure he cares about you? Is this how he shows you his care by leaving in you and you in this situation? You need to make a decision in your heart. You're not pulling me into despair. You're not taking away my faith. I might experience a little bit of fog, but that fog is not enough to blind my eyes to the truth that Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Come on, somebody. I tell you what, we're going to black church this thing so quick. We're going to get a little church of God in Christ up in this place. But listen, don't be scared. Because we need to stay multi-ethnic. But we just got to blacktify just a little bit. Just a, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Say yes. No, you got to say yes. Come on, say yes. Yes! Come on! Preach that! I'm training y'all. You can find yourself in thick fog and just change your perspective. You can see 10 feet, focus on that 10 feet. God has revealed 10 feet. This is the best 10 feet that God could have ever given me. This one thing that he gave me to stand on, this is the best. I'll never forget when we first started this church and I thought we were going to see revival and I was praying for thousands of people and I was seeing multitudes of people coming to Christ and we started the church. There's about 180 people on our first Sunday and by Easter that year I had preached it down to 64. And I was crying. I was so discouraged that Easter Sunday that I couldn't even preach. I preached for 10 minutes. Raquel Devera was it? Raquel and, and Nate, they do our, uh, they run our youth, youth, they're the, our youth directors. And Raquel was here. She, she came up to me afterwards. She goes, Pastor, what happened? I came here needing a word. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's all I had today. I was discouraged. I was discouraged because I thought God was going to do something that he didn't do. That's a trap of the enemy. And I went home and I started crying out to God. And I said, God, 
I'll do anything, but show me how to grow this church. I'll do anything. Do you want me to wear a sandwich board and go out in the street? I will wear a sandwich board. You tell me to do it, and I will do it. I don't care what you tell me, but show me how to grow this church. And the Lord spoke to me and said, upon this rock, I will build my church. I never asked you to build the church. I asked you to make disciples. Now you take those 64 people I gave you and make disciples out of them. And suddenly I realized I may not know the answer to what's coming in the future, but one thing I know that he's called me to make disciples out of the few that he's given me, that's enough clarity to take the next step. Amen. 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 We don't want to be completely triumphalistic about it. That the, the mature life of faith, there's no problems and no confusion. No, no, no. Paul said, I'm perplexed. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him some questions. I got a list of questions. But I'm not going to let those questions drive a wedge between me and him. I'm not going to let those questions cause me to sink into a place of disillusionment and despair. I'm not going to let those questions, the secret things are not going to cause me to question the revealed things because that is the trap of the enemy. That's his plan for you in the fog, that you'd find yourself in the fog and you'd see so many secret things, so much stuff that the Lord hasn't revealed that you'd begin to question the revealed things. Well, wait a minute. Do, do, do all things work for the good? Will he complete the work he began in me? Will he provide all my needs according to his riches and glory? Mm -mm. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the revealed things belong to us. If God showed you 10 feet, that 10 feet belongs to you. You need to learn to possess what God has revealed. You need to learn to possess the revealed things. You need to learn to possess the revealed things. You need to learn to buy the truth and sell it not. Amen. Amen. You got it? I know you got it. Let's, uh, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Chanel. Bishop. Bishop Chanel, I, I appreciate that. Father, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for what you're doing in this house. I pray for those who are in the fog right now. Lord, there's so many who are in the fog right now. Not only here, but in our online campus, you're in the fog. I don't know what God is doing. I don't know what I'm supposed to do.